Hello again. This is Martin Davis with F2S bringing you a new edition of the New Dominion podcast. And across the table from me is my partner in crime, Sean Kinney of the Republican Standard. Sean, how's it going? It's, uh, the weather is cooperating. It's absolutely fantastic outside. I am happy as a clam. So all things good here. So you found some Cuban cigars. I did not find any Cuban cigars. I stayed outside of Scott Mayowski's house for several hours. Cops were called. The restraining order may or may not be in place, but uh, I'm I'm still on my ever-ending search. I think I'm going to stand outside his house with a boombox. There you go, Scott Mayowski. We're coming for you. Where can we want the cigars, man? You get you owe you pay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're coming for you, baby. And down at the other end of the table for me is the. Ever popular man above men, uh, Corey, who is working our mics for us again tonight, and his amazing spouse, Megan, uh, who is also uh, going to chime in and keep us all straight this evening. Corey, Megan, how are y'all doing tonight? You're doing pretty good. Yeah, doing good. Glad to have you guys. Great. Thanks We're for having us. Glad to be back. So uh, it is my distinct honor tonight to welcome our, our uh, very special guest, uh, Miss Nicole Cole. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Nicole, we're really glad to have you here, and so we're going to start you off with a really tough question. Okay. You're a terrapin. Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I, a fair question, Marty? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> a wahoo has to ask that? Come I, on. I mean... <laughs> I had to get out of Virginia. That's what <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I didn't go far. That's all right. We got you back. See? So that's, yeah. that's all that matters. Absolutely. So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about what you do. You've got a fascinating day job. What, what is that? Yep. So I... Um, well, okay, it depends. I, I do have a number of different roles I play. So I have a, my own financial services firm. So I do um, management, I mean, uh, financial planning and wealth management. Um, and uh, I have the college money team where I do college funding planning for parents uh, whose kids are going on in college, make sure that they can successfully fund their kids' college education. And I am also uh, the battlefield representative on school board for Spotsy County Public Schools, so. So you're a busy person. <laughs> you also are, um, you, you also, you and I have a, uh, a wonderful connection that I didn't know about yeah. until debate night. Uh, a, a young man by the name of Michael Bush, Absolutely. who was running for the Board of Supervisors in Spotsylvania, is on your team. Yep. Uh, I got to, I knew Michael when I had to tie his shoes, quite literally. Wow. Uh, Michael and my son played uh, youth football together from about age nine all the way up. They faced each other on the uh, high school gridirons here in Spotsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, if I'm not mistaken, in Austin's senior year, he missed one extra point, and it was because one Michael Bush came <laughs> busting through the line and blocked the darn thing. Um, so uh, you, you have great taste in people. Michael's, well, an, Michael's an amazing young man, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's uh, awesome. I've been knowing Michael since he was in high school. Um, and through that college funding planning relationship, actually, you know, got a chance to build a relationship with uh, their family through their dad, through his dad. Yeah. Yeah, who tragically yeah. passed away on a family vacation yeah. to Jamaica. It was a real blow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a real shock. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but but he 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 and his wife raised an amazing son, and he's yeah. an incredible. Not only is he obviously good at finances, but he's he's an, an amazing poet. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, spoken yes. word. Yeah. Yes. Is he published yet, or I, is he published? I don't. Think I don't he's think published. he's published. Um, he needs to be. I think be. most of what 
what I've seen was the spoken word, so video. You okay. Know, yeah. Let's put it this way. I've seen Michael perform his poetry. It's incredible. And uh, I think Michael needs to meet Amanda Gorman. I mm-hmm. think she would make sure he is published tomorrow. I think he is yeah. that good. Wow. That's high praise. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Poetry's always been one of the things. It's like I can read it. But I've never been able to really like successfully write it. Mm-hmm. I just, it, to me, it, it just, it's just absolutely terrible. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who who can and do. Exactly. So that's that's pretty cool. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Nicole, you sit on the the school board in Spotsylvania County. Um, how long have you been there? Uh, since January of twenty twenty two. So I got elected in November of twenty twenty one and started. Uh, January, my first meeting was January 10th. So we're literally 18 months yes. into your term. Um, talk to me about some of the surprises that, you know, like, like what, what's most surprised you about being on the school board in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's like more its function, what it does, the relation to the superintendent, because I don't think most Virginians really understand that like local government, specifically like, like whether it's board of supervisors or city councils or even the school board, they're really more, I want to say like almost like in a, like in an advisory capacity, the same way like a board would be at a, at a nonprofit and it's the superintendent, the county administrator, the city manager that actually does most of the running. Right. So, so tell me about some of your, your, your surprises, um, some of the revelations and things that you've learned so far. So, I mean, just generally functioning, um, of a school board, the the level of decision-making that is made on policy that then, like you said, gets implemented by the, um, by the superintendent and the, whole, and the educational staff, you know. Um, so we're not really implementing and we don't, you know, e- even when I was running, I had to sort of make sure that I understood the school board has the, we have governance and funding, uh, uh, authority in the sense, right? But still, some of those policies that are needed or need to be changed, that comes to us as recommendations from the superintendent and the the uh, leadership staff, and then we decide whether to change or tweak the policies and and what to apply, actually implement. Same with the budget. So, um, so yeah. So in some senses, the real work is done. Um, by the the operational staff of the school division, and then we sort of oversee those high level decisions, and then they operationalize or you know sort of help us create regulations to make everything happen, which is why it is very important. And we and we hire the superintendent. That's the only. That's really the only uh, employee that we hire even though the policies now sort of say that the, you know, the school board is the, the employer for everyone, but that's in a sense, not really the case, right. you know? So, but it makes it critically important that we uh, hire good quality people to run the division because school board members don't have to have any knowledge or expertise in education. And most of the time they don't. You know, yeah. we only have one board member that actually currently that actually has a uh, public education um, uh, teacher's license. I think uh, maybe Dr. I know Dr. Daniels teaches as well. She's a professor, but at the college level. So. Um, so, yes. So, again, we have to really rely on the, the, the people who run the show. Well, I think that's a really important point to make. Right. So I can tell you 
the difference between what people think goes on in the classroom and what really goes on in the classroom is a massive gulf. And it's so massive, in fact, that when I started teaching this spring after I got let go of the Freelance Star, um, I've been rec- I've been reporting on education nationally for over 20 years. I have been in schools in probably 30, 35 states. I've been in almost any kind of school imaginable. I've talked to thousands of teachers in my career. And I kind of figured when I walked in that room, I would be, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't know it all, but I figured, you know, I should, I should, I should be okay. And I got to tell you, by four o'clock that afternoon, I was looking for some scuba gear to, to, (laughs) you know, to help me swim my way out of the mess I had found myself in. It is a huge gulf. So, you know, so, um, you know, how important is it that, that kind of on-the-ground expertise work with the board and, and the board be receptive to that and work with that? It's absolutely important because that's, you know, it's the staff and the leadership in the school division uh, is where the rubber hits the road as far as the services and, and how our students, you know, are educated. Now, I have some experience, not from being a teacher, but my mom is a retired school teacher. So, you know, it's not that I didn't have any understanding for, you know, the life of You you have 18 years of experience. Absolutely. (laughs) And even more. Um, uh, She taught for, I think, 34 years before she retired. Oh, wow. um, uh, So I have that experience. And she taught mostly in high school. She had about a six-year stint in middle school uh, and then thankfully got back into high school. I did a uh, – when I graduated um, uh, undergrad, I think I substituted at Verona High School uh, a few times. And I, I, I mean, like, I, I felt your pain when you were telling me about getting back into the classroom. It's, it's uh, coming out and doing financial services. I love to educate, but adults. Right. So – um, so to your point, Marty, it is um, it's absolutely critical that we that the board have an appreciation for the work that educators do and the the competence that they have to have and the credentials and knowledge that they have to have, not just to teach the subject, but to manage classrooms, to identify, be able to identify. I mean, they, the teachers, you know, not do they only need to know their subject matter. Um, but they need to know, you know, in a sense, they're therapists. In a sense, you know, they are, um, uh, you know, disciplinarians. Uh, they, you know, so they actually have to have a breadth of skills, and we have to understand that that's what's that is what's needed, right? And so leadership, it's so helpful that the leadership also have had that experience so that then they can better meet the needs of the teachers. Because when our educators' needs are met, then they can do the best job for our students. So I, I want to get into the, you know, sort of the nitty-gritty about what's going on on the board. We'll get there eventually. But I think one of the things I want to know is just as a school board member, could you give us a sense of how many phone calls, emails, people stopping you in the grocery store uh, to talk about how – how involved is it? How much stuff do you actually have to respond to? Um, especially when I first started, uh, it's a lot. I did not ever expect it to be like this, like it is <laughs> at all. 
so I actually, I mean, so it, it, you know, it took me probably three or four months to um, basically figure out a routine that made sense and, and where to like sort of draw the line because it, it, it was sucking up uh, time from me, for my business, for my kids, you know? Um, and so I, you know, so now I, I think probably after February, because we have budget season, so there's a lot of time required then. Now I'm, I think I'm doing, I'm managing the best possible, but because of the you know, I think more so because of the chaos of our board, I, it's unusual the amount of, you know, calls and, and emails, especially, um, you know, messages that I get that, you know, I need to, that I have to respond to and I have to be able to sort of say, okay, well, I'm not even going to look at my email during this time so I can get my work done um, and, you know, change my schedule. So Mondays, when I have a school board meeting, you know, my assistant for my business knows, you know, I have had to like make those, make those accommodations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a full-time job and people don't realize how much really, I mean, if you do it right and you're not just presiding that how much time it really takes and the compensation for it isn't exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I feel like I've donated it all back in different exactly. ways. To yeah. Try to get to, uh, yeah. So, so getting a little bit closer to kind of you know on target, you know, you you know, most teachers find themselves between like a skill and charybdis, right? And one side, parents say that they want more direct involvement in education, and on the other side, you find that parental involvement, you know, in most children's education just just isn't there, right? I mean, they don't take the appropriate degree of interest in their child's education. So what happens is that the teachers and to some degree administrators have to shoulder the entire load. Whereas maybe, you know, 20 years ago, you know, you didn't really find that. It's, you know, when you know, Jimmy cheated on a test, you know, it's a parent-teacher conference and people blame Jimmy. And nowadays, you know, there's a parent-teacher conference and everybody blames the teacher. So it's like, you know, why didn't you, you know, do this or whatever the case may be. Um, is that a dynamic that you see and that, that, that teachers are talking about in public education? And if so, do you have an elegant solution for it? Or is it just sort of a, this is just the present problem. We were all just kind of catching grenades and hoping for the best. Um, you know, that's a big question. I know. I'm sorry, Nicole. No, 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 no. It's, I I want to, I hate that I have to answer it the way that I'm going to answer it. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and only because I feel like it has the parental, um, that whole parent's involvement has become politicized based off of, um, a control and power thing. So I don't feel like it's true, right? I just feel like it's a made-up problem in order to allow some people to win their perspective on how they think public education should be delivered or funded or what have you, okay? Um, so I think it's, a, it's been a major distraction uh, as far as for the for the school divisions, but then also for the services that are being delivered to students. Um, and I say that because I haven't had anybody able to answer to me um, what parents' rights have been taken. Right? When has a a teacher or a principal or a school division said you cannot go into the school to 
observe your your class your the your students class or have a conversation with your teacher with their teachers or the principal to resolve some problem like what right has been taken from you you know um and if anything educators for you know for all time has been have been asking for parents to be more involved do more support us more um so so that's why I'm I just sort of feel like it's more political than actual um because you know I I don't know a time when uh I even in Spotsy when I was in high school uh raising my kids you know when they were in school in Maryland where the school has prevented me from coming in if not, you know, more so that they're asking parents. I mean, I'd served when my kids were in school in Maryland, you know, I served on the PTA. I was actually president of our, our PTA. Um, and so, you know, they act, the school system actually values those organizations, right. you know, and we need more parents to, to participate. So, um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't did, did I answer the question? No, it was it was pretty good because it's it's a sticky question, right? And to some degree, you know, I think you're right. It has become politicized. I mean, if you were to give you know the people who are asking parental involvement everything they wanted, would it fix the problem per se? And no, probably not. I mean, the, the, you have the same almost the same problems, just manifested in a, dis, in a different way. I think. And Marty and I have talked about this often. Um, you know, in 20, 2013 with or no, not twenty thirteen twenty. It's been that long, 2017, I guess, 2021, 2021. McAuliffe's gaffe in October during the debate where he says, um, you know, you know, teachers, not parents, are the primary educators of their children. Um, that was kind of a direct line. I think it angered a lot of people on the right. Um, and perhaps it was misconstrued. Perhaps there was a better way to say what McAuliffe was trying to express. But it, that might be fueling some of their concerns do you want to try taking a stab at that maybe and just say, it's like, you know, we, like here's what he's trying to communicate guys is that, you know, the, the teachers are specialized professionals who do a great job doing a great deal with very little. And you know, the, the, the line that you heard and what McAuliffe is trying to communicate, is there a middle way here that you could maybe express Nicole that would clarify some of that and put some minds at ease? Well, I, I, I don't find anything wrong with what Terry McAuliffe said. said. It, Okay. I mean, that's what teachers are supposed, that's what schools are for, right. right? The teachers work in the schools to educate our kids. So what he said is factual and true. Again, I think it was what can, what, how can we make it political to twist people's perceptions uh, and, 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 and make it seem like there's an issue, right? Because there was no issue. I mean, like, yes, I... If, if I'm sending my child to school, then I want them to be educated, not for me to educate them, right? Right. So, but all of the time as a parent, I have the choice of whether they be educated in public school or whether they be educated in private school, but if, or whether I educate them at home, right? So if I'm not educating them at home, then I'm choosing not to be the educator, so parents aren't educators if you're sending your kids I, to school. I think I think the I think it's um it's overgeneralized of what 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 that statement was supposed to be getting at. The idea I think professional education is a, is different from parents teaching their kids things or 
philosophy about life or, you know, cultural religious ideals. Like that's not what that, that's not what we should be discussing when it comes to school, because that stuff like fine, do that. That's home. And that's how you guys do things. But when we're in a public space, we're trying to keep everybody within within a realm of like equality and understanding and everyone's trying to complicate it because they want to be able to control all these, you know, like micro aspects of, you know, information that might offend a particular idea, but your kids are going to grow up in a world where they're going to hear different ideas all the time. Might as well do it now. Let's do it now, which is <laughs> kind of an interesting bridge to some of the, the, the book banning or the book burning controversy. I don't really shy away from it because that's what they've said. Um, or at least one board member anyway. It's like here you have, you know, a, a, a certain board member that or, or or a majority of the board that that is sort of being led in one direction because they don't want their children exposed to certain ideas that are in a classroom, all the way up to like banning books from James Baldwin and um, uh, uh, Toni Morrison and things of that nature. And so – and Amanda Gorman for crying out loud. I mean, so, so, so here's an interesting bridge. Like, so the parents, they, they want a more direct involvement and they kind of reach over the teacher's shoulder and say, teach this, not this, but they also want this somehow in the libraries as well. And what's kind of expressed as a value system by the public schools. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that, that dynamic, because it seems like you're striking a chord here where the real concern is that it's not so much, you know, who, who's the primary educator of a child, but rather, are we allowing teachers with specialized degrees, whether that's education or physics or history or English, um, to actually be teachers? Is that closer to where we are? Um, it's so, so I will say the the parents that want to dictate over more than their, than their child, parent your child, okay? When you want to create laws that apply to all to other children that aren't your children, then you're actually taking parents' rights away. You're a parent taking parents' rights away. And it doesn't even have anything to do with the teachers. Okay. Um, so there's, there's that piece of it. So and I think that that's where the whole book issue is with me that they are actually, they've actually, they're arguing that parents have rights, but one parent is imposing their supposed right upon all parents. And so now you've taken, taken more parents' rights away. Right. Um, so your, stop, your rights stop where mine begins. Right, exactly. Okay, there we go. And the, and the, the thing is, an a institution like a, a school division, um, it, it's like a, a, cor- a corporate body. They have the obligation, uh, have to follow regulations and laws to make decisions that are beneficial for the corporate body, right? Whether that's stu- all the stakeholders it w- that work within that corporate body. So whether it's students or staff or administrators, you, you, w- the, there's no way that they can make a decision for one student that is outside of the consideration that how, of how it affects all students, right? So, so it's like teachers and the administrators are getting put upon because individual parents are saying, no, you know, I don't want this for my child. And so therefore you can't teach this to my child without the consideration that 
what she can teach to your child and, and the way that you're trying to impose it means that she or he can't, that all of the children it can't be talked to the classroom. Exactly. Right. And that's, there, there's no way you can, I mean, it's not fair. I mean, to, classroom can't function can't that way. You just can't manage an institution yeah. in that way. Uh, a, a, a corporation couldn't manage a business because one client or one, one uh, customer needs something and and so now everything is managed based off of that one customer. That just doesn't happen. And that's well, and I the, think it goes a step further in Spotsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was so frustrating about what's happening now. And again, Sean and I talk about this a lot, right? I mean, I, I, I as as a parent of three, I, I don't understand the fear that someone's going to say something that's going to offend my child or that I might disagree with it. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't. I don't I don't get that fear, to be honest with you. Um, but what, you know, so so now you've got parents who want to dictate what other parents can and can't do. And Mark Taylor said as much, right, in a recent meeting when he talked about, oh, on, a, on a radio interview where he talked about um, Jen Peterson doing this saintly work because these poor parents are commuting to D.C. and they don't have time to take care of their kids, basically, is what he said. And I'm like, yeah, no, no. Just because your community doesn't mean you're not involved and don't care. But it's going to step further now, and we've got a situation in Spotsylvania where Ford board members are not just advocating for parents who want a certain worldview. And I would say, look, advocate for them. Absolutely. You know, let's have that. Let's put it on the table. Let's talk about it. I'm all about that. But not only are they advocating for that, they have effectively silenced three board members from having any say in this whatsoever. And I was thinking about this today. You know, when you talk about the transition in the Roman from the Roman Empire to the Roman Republic, which is really kind of a false, or the Republic to the Empire, which is a false line, right? The Romans didn't think of it that way. They didn't, they didn't see it as a transition, right? Um, but the way it happened was Octavius uh, and consolidated all that power to himself. And that is precisely what we have seen happen on the school board with the current board chair, Lisa Phelps, who has uh, now, if you're a school board member, you can't talk to Mark Taylor directly. You have to send all your emails to her. If you want to put something on the, if you want to put something on the agenda, you can't do that. She has to be the one to do that. Uh, What else has she done? I mean, all the, it seems like all the power, everything runs through her, which is about as anti-democratic a move as I can think of. Strikes at the heart of the collegiality of any governing board, elected officials, Richmond, state senate, house of delegates. I've never heard of that before in my life. Right. There's none of that, and it's even worse. Uh, I mean, there's no collegiality. Um, There's no conversation even. Um, She just started responding to emails sometimes, um, so it's worse in the sense that first things are supposed to, from the board, are supposed to go through Lisa. Um, the other piece of it is not only, so So first I'll focus on the ways that they've shut out the minority board members, okay, who have been elected by the people. So we have, we're supposed to go through Lisa, um, but we copy Taylor so when we copy Taylor, um, so he gets the re- request. Uh, he will 
let's say, for example, in the past, we had a question from the chief financial officer or HR. We wanted a report. We would just send an email to the, to the person uh, in, in charge of that department and copy the superintendent or send it to the superintendent. And then the superintendent would make sure that, you know, who specifically needed the answer would get us back the answer. Well, now we send it to, I send mine to Taylor and the, and the person in the department. There is so much hostility and fear amongst our uh, internal staff. They do not respond unless Taylor tells them that they can. And most of the time he tell he doesn't tell them that they can. So we don't get information. He doesn't have conversations with, uh, we used to meet with, with Dr. Flanard um, about every other week, but definitely like a week before the board meet, the agenda was set so that she could give us an idea of what to expect. No meetings. I think I met with Taylor. He, he gave Dawn, Shelley, and I a meeting in January, and it wasn't contentious or anything, and has not uh, met with us since then, you know. And for um, those who don't know, Carol Flanard is a longstanding, highly esteemed, highly recognized educator in Spotsylvania who was principal of Wilderness Elementary when my kids were going to school there and has worked her way up the ranks and is, I can tell you, loved by parents and by the teachers that she worked under. So and so she left us. Um, she's in Prince William County now. Um, so so basically, so they've... Uh, when Mark Taylor started, we got locked out of the, so we had our, you know, cards where we could come into the building, uh, usually for board meetings, come into the back of the building. Um, we, they shut off our security cards, so we don't have access to the building. We have to go through the front. We have to sign in and then be escorted to where we're go- Yes. <laughs> you know, so it makes it so you don't even want to go over to the building um, you know, uh, staff, you know, we don't want staff to have any issues with, with Taylor and some of the other leadership, uh, that, that, uh, the Phelps and Twig and them have brought in. So, you know, we try, you know, we try not to ruffle the, the, uh, cart because we know they have to work there, uh, every day. Um, but so, so not only are we silenced, we're not given information, we're not communicated with a lot of the things that come out at the board meetings, we're just finding out. Um, the, so, so that's the board, that's the, the minority members of the board. They've silenced the public. Um, and I mean, and so they, they reduced our board comments from not having a specific time limit to three minutes. Um, so, and then they did the same with the public. So public comments were five minutes. Uh, they reduced that to three minutes. Um, and then uh, Ms. Uh, Phelps all, often interrupts us, even with only having three minutes, she'll interrupt us. She will interrupt the public when they're speaking. And will and not stop like the them. clock. She keeps the clock And she running. will not stop the clock, right. Um, and uh, she'll cut off the mics. She'll, she's cut off uh, my mic many a times. I, I continue to say what I were, whatever I was going to say. Um, she cuts off the public, you know, public commenters. She'll cut their mics off. I mean, it is, and it's not like, 
she doesn't have the, um, they, they have the majority. So this type of, you know, hostility and nastiness doesn't have to happen for them to win, to, to, to have the power. They have the power. Why do you also, but they, they don't want it to be public that, you know, the things that they're trying to do are actually, you know, um, you know, either negligent, they really don't have good information, basing it off of not good information. They don't want to be challenged uh, at all. So that's one of the reasons why they don't want us to talk. Um, they don't want to hear challenge from coming from the public. So that's one of the reasons why they cut their time and will cut off their mics. Um, they, they've, they've silenced the educators. Um, I mean, basically, you know, they, there have been tactics to hold, uh, hold contracts um, of, and, and people all along from when I was running uh, to, but especially after um, I started, um, you know, trying to get educators to come and advocate for themselves, they're scared. They feel like, well, you know, if I come, then I'm going to be targeted and I'm scared for my job because once they um, uh, terminated Dr. Baker, one of the things that I believe Dr. Baker did effectively was protect his staff and uh, where board members had wanted to in the past just be able to go into the schools and, you know, talk to or or have whatever influence on the principals or what have you, he he made sure that that didn't happen. There's there was regulations put in place so that that didn't happen, and he held them accountable uh, for that. So once he left the and and Twig was the chair, um, the you know Dr. Flanard also um, you know sort of kept tried to keep that in place, but you know as soon as um, uh, uh, Dr. Flanard left the ability for our educators to, in a sense, be protected because we're not supposed to, you know, as we said in the beginning, board members don't operate the school division, okay? So it is not our jobs to go into a school and tell a principal how to manage his school building uh, in any way. Um, and so, um, but that kind of thing started, you know, pretty much at the beginning of the last school year um, with ways that the board members were sort of dictating what, you know, certain people could and could not do. And so they're afraid. So that, so he's also silenced the staff. So or they have. So I think one of the things I would sort of want you to come back and speak to, I did an article, oh gosh, I don't know, three, four months ago, where I asked you and Loretta, Daniels and Don Shelley, the other two minority board members, to do an accounting for me of the number of emails you've sent and the number of responses you've got. And I forget the exact, I don't think any of the responses from Taylor were over 15%. I have to go back and check that to be sure, but it was low. It's, has that gotten any better or, or about the same? Uh, if you if you don't count the auto responses, <laughs> you can't count the then it has responses. not gotten any better. No. So you're just you're hearing nothing. Wow, this is this is really. I just can't. Uh, I just can't wrap my head around just how crazy authoritarian this whole thing is, and it's happening 
in a school board, this is it like Animal Farm. Anyone? Like, like what? Like what? <laughs> like what are we? What are we? What are we doing? Well, it, so so I mean, let's let's try to turn the kaleidoscope a little bit and maybe see it from their perspective. So you've got four board members constituting constituting majority. They get the superintendent they want. Um, and may and 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 for a long time it was you know having grown up in Spotsylvania County it was you had like one lone Republican on this board and that Republican was pushed to the side the majority did whatever it wanted um, they paid the superintendent whatever they needed and they just kind of pushed forward and there really wasn't a whole lot of the, we talked about consensus there really wasn't much of an effort to bring in those voices and so the conservatives felt walled out from the institution itself. Public education isn't exactly a bastion of conservative thought, um, and a lot of conservatives feel locked out. And so what might be happening here is that the institution is is resisting the board, right, or, rightly or wrongly. Um, it seems in some instances quite rightly. Um, but what it, it's, it's, this is an institution that's sort of hostile to what they're trying to do. Now, what are they trying to do? I mean, I don't know what they're really driving at in terms of reform or improving test scores or just pulling library books off the shelves. But to some degree, it's like they're going to behave the way they feel the Democrats have treated them over the last 20 years. It was just totally, totally reductive. Exactly. It's and totally, it's, it's totally reductive. Yeah. And, and so the pendulum starts to swing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then so the, the the I guess the real question then is like, look, any kind of public school system should be all of us, not some of us, right? You can't – I mean, Nicole, you've already mentioned this. It's not a political thing at the end of the day. It shouldn't be a political service because it's for the common good. It's not designed for the highest good and whoever gets to define what that is. Um, do you think that to some degree that there is that sort of political – I mean that we have politicized the school system and the great task really of of, of any future board, whether it's – I mean, they're all independents, but like Republican, Democrat, um, I don't care who it is. The great task is sort of the, to try to depoliticize that, or is it really like you know, just one side's got to got to duke it out and may the may the bigger bigger mob win kind of thing? Um, what do you think? So, um, school board members are supposed to be independent, right? So we run. As independents, we don't run as party for a reason because the purpose of the school board is to make decisions decisions that are in the best interest of students and the of, of students ultimately. Because even the decisions that we make on sta- uh, about staff and how it's operated are to deliver the best education that we possibly can for kids for students. So that's not a political. Uh, those aren't political decisions. So I would say to you, um, I, I like what you said about the fact, you know, sort of it was the 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 Democrats and now the Republicans have power. So they're basically it's like a revenge, you know, like I'm going to get y'all back. The problem with that is that that is that's false. The the whole politicization or or partisan perspective has come from a very far extreme Republican side because the, at least my understanding of the makeup of the board since I've been in Spotsylvania, it hasn't, it's not Democratic. It wasn't Democratic. It was a nice mix. Uh, Don Shelley was a Republican. Baron Braswell, an independent. I mean, like, you know. A true independent. A true independent. Um, 
And so uh, uh, Aaron Graham, she was Republican, right? So they weren't political. They weren't partisan. They were making decisions that were in the best interest of the students. Those decisions weren't liked by these, uh, the four now who have this far right partisan perspective. And they didn't have the, the things that they wanted to do didn't hold credence with what was the best for our students. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons why they were shut out. It wasn't because of their party, right? It was because it, did, it wasn't in the best interest of the kids. So, but now they have the, but so they figured out how to get the power. They finally got it. And so now they can impose their perspectives without having any consequence or consideration for whether it's right or wrong. They can hire a, a, a superintendent that doesn't have any educational background whatsoever um, because they have the power. You know, that I don't feel like that was a partisan decision. It was a because we want to. Yeah. Do you think that they're sitting back and saying, well, we're, what we're really doing is we're, we're getting rid of all the pornography in libraries for all the kids. And what we're doing is really for all Spotsylvanians. And what the school board had been doing was really partisan driven with, you know, like, I mean, pick your poison, like lax curriculum, CRT, DEI, all that. And so you know, what they're saying, I mean, do you, do you think that they could make the same argument, you know, whether it's faithful or unfaithful that what they're actually doing um, and that maybe there are some things where if there is a new board coming into transition that maybe procedurally we have done in the past that maybe we probably need to wind back and correct. What, what, uh, so in terms of like locking people out, right. I mean, right. there's some people that did need to be locked out. I get this. Right. Um, and, but there are extremes on both sides and we know who those individuals roughly are, but again, the, the great task is like, okay, so if the Republicans felt this way or the right felt this way, it's like, what was it that made them feel this way? And how do we tamp that out to get it back to the common good rather than two sides pursuing a partisan, you know, quote unquote, higher good in service to, to, to factions rather than all of us. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Um, and, and, and I do, I do this with a friend of mine. Um, who 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 speak similarly? Um, I'm I'm going to still say partisan is only coming from one side. So you know it is a misnomer and it is not fair for you say you know it's like to to make it two sides. The other side is not partisan. I don't I don't feel like I'm partisan at all in the decisions that I'm making for that I would you know love to be able to make for our school division. I'm not being partisan there is a side that is being partisan. So I want to make sure that that's clear. I don't think that the um, sexually explicit, um, you know, that conversation about graphic, you know, language and everything has anything to do with what they really feel is in the best interest of the students. Again, I feel like it's a power and control thing uh, because, uh, you know, those books have been available for our kids you know, when I was in school, I am not maladjusted. I haven't had anyone, even one of the speakers came and she, she spoke about the fact that she was raped, but she didn't say my rapist read this book and therefore I was raped, right? Um, if she had read a book that had something in it about rape, then uh, a, a child who, or a student, a high schooler, okay, because these are not 
kindergarten kids or elementary kids reading these books. Or even middle school kids. Or even middle school kids um, could read that and then say, that happened to me. Yes, it's graphic because rape is a graphic thing. It is wrong. But when you feel like you're alone in that and it hasn't happened to anyone else, you don't have the words to use to be able to tell somebody. And the person who's perpetrated is basically telling you not to tell. If you read it in the book, now you have the words, right? So I don't, and again, I don't feel like even with with that person, the the thought process of, is this really hurting our kids? I think it's a, I think with um, the woman who's brought most of the challenge and I don't want to give her the attention that basically she wants by even saying her name. I think it's an attention and control thing and it really has nothing to do with what's in the best interest of our kids. So we need a board that actually has the best interests of our students in mind that is not at all focused on any particular partisan ideology. Okay. Uh, we need to be able to sort of look at the data and say, okay, this data is showing us that we need to improve our literacy. We need to put some resources behind that. We can see in the data that this is where, you know, these kids are falling off from whatever so that they can perform better, so that they can get the the skills and the information that they need. I believe in truth. I mean, I think people are fearful of, of truth in education and what their kids are learning. Um, but, um, and it's not a liberal proposition for kids to learn the truth, whether that's in history or English or sociology or what have you. When you know the truth, you can think more critically about, I mean, because there's like how many ways to skin a cat, right? And we want our kids to be able to think of multiple different options to skin the cat, but then what's the best way to do it in the current environment, right? So they have to have the information to be able to be discerning. So they can't, you know, and because we want them to be problem solvers, we want them to be able to graduate and be independent, right? Right. We don't want them to be, you know, where um, they can't make decisions, so they have to continually be told what to do. At least that's what I want education, to provide to my kids and, and to our kids so that then we can actually have a better society. Now, I do believe that some people don't want kids, they don't want people to have the ability to make those decisions. They would rather be able to tell people what to do. And when you're not, uh, when you don't feel confident, when you don't feel prepared, you don't feel like you have enough information um, uh, to, to make decisions on your own, then you're more apt to listen to what other people want and just take them for face value, which there is a, there is a perspective that that's the way we need people to be so that we can stay in power so that yeah, we can do the, you yeah. know, so that's what I feel the dynamic is It's the problem is of the 21st century, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things you said in Cole is about, you know, you're talking about truth and what's interesting is truth is, it's elastic. And by that, I mean, I mean, I'm a historian by training. That's what I did my graduate work in. Um, one of the greatest history books I ever read was Muhammad and Charlemagne by Henri Perrins, book written in the 1940s. That thesis is still debated in graduate schools today, if you're a medievalist. And you can see the, the opinions going up and down about every five years. Oh, Henri Perrin was right. Nope, Henri Perrin was dead wrong. No, he was right. No, he was wrong. 
it's it's the debate, it's the discussion, right? And that's what we're trying to instill in kids. Um, so listen, Nicole, this has been terrific. I wish we had nine more hours to sit here and listen to you <laughs> talk. Same. Um, you know, maybe we'll have to uh, maybe we'll have to resign to uh, Corey's um, old fashioned room. Uh, we have to raid his it. scotch cabinet. Have to raid his scotch cabinet. <laughs> uh, but we we do have a little tradition here that I Sean started. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a tradition here that uh, Sean started, and so we're going to kick it off with you. Put you on the spot. What are you reading? Um, so I uh, am just finishing up a book called Born to Run. You would think I'd be reading some of the banned books, but I have read some of the banned <laughs> books, and so now. Um, but I need uh, a little spring scene <laughs> in your life, don't you? <laughs> right, but it, I mean, and it's 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 somewhat a book about running, but it's also um, about um, uh, sort of you know just just life and um, making uh, you know different decisions uh, in regards to um, uh, you know. Uh, sort of the 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 transition on and and actually questioning like um you know what we know to be true today right so actually you know it's a a runner who had some injuries um and he wanted to continue running and the doctors were basically telling him you know with the weight that you have on you and the way that you run you just need to stop running and so he started doing some research on in a sense ancient cultures and they're, uh, you know, how do they keep, you know, sort of this tradition uh, of running? And there's a lot of insights from that. So it's, wow. it's sort of weird. Wow. It sounds like a great book, actually. Sounds <laughs> like a great book. It. I could yeah. add it to my list. Sean, what are you reading? So what am I reading? I am reading No Worse Place Than Hell. It is a uh, uh, or Worse Place Than Hell. It's by John Madison. You have already read this book, apparently. Um, I'm about three chapters in, and it is absolutely fantastic. It is about... The Battle of Fredericksburg and how it changed America. And it starts out with the lives of six individuals um, and it starts going through them biographically, one by one by one, both sides of the conflict, and then culminating in the Battle of Fredericksburg and then the aftermath. I'm not going to spoil it for myself. I have no idea how the movie's going to end, but it seems like it's it's a really, really fascinating book so far. Highly recommended. It's my kind of history book. So, Corey, have you dug out from underneath the manuals yet? No, <laughs> no. As Megan dug out from all the manuals, see, we, we rudely skipped over Megan last time, so I feel sort of really bad. But that's uh. okay. <laughs> I um, I'm actually I haven't made any headway on on the books that I was reading either, so I'm still oh, uh, okay. Still reading Savage Continent, which it's is a, a great you know it's, it's a good it's book. A, yeah, it's a great book. So yeah, um, yeah. Still, still working cool. on it. Marty, what are you reading, man? So I picked up a brand new book the other day uh, called The Chinese Question. And it is about uh, the uh, – well, it's it starts off about the migration of Chinese into California and the work that they were done. Uh, and it talks about the development of race and identity in California, which has always fascinated me. Having lived in the Bay Area and after having grown up in the American South where I thought you know, African-Americans were treated worse than anybody else in the face of the earth, and they were. But then I moved to California, and I went to Angel Island. And then I began to get the story of what happened to the Chinese in this country, which was unbelievable, right? But this author's brilliance is that she ties this to the gold industry and works it into how this also happened in South Africa uh, and in some other parts of the world. It's a fascinating read. And uh, so, yeah, I'm having a good time with that one. 
Wow, good stuff. Good stuff. Good so, Sean, stuff. take us out because you got the voice, man. I have the golden voice. Well, it's like, well, on behalf of Marty Davis of F2S, I'm Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. You've been listening to the New Dominion podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next week.